Welcome everybody back to the Baxter Young podcast. Um, we've had a little break because uh, I've been busy and uh, just been behind the scenes trying to organize some some new guests. And uh, I'm very pleased to introduce Jeremy Bliss Sherman, who's the assistant professor and associate program director for the curriculum of PO at Baylor College of Medicine. And uh, big shout to Megan for putting us in touch. And uh, as we were just talking before we started, uh, Ben uh, Wright, who I interviewed a few months ago, passed me on to Megan and Megan passed me on to uh, Jeremy. So Jeremy's going to have to uh, hook me up with the next guest as well. And Oh, it'll be easy. we got a lot. Yeah, it's cool. I'm I am impressed with like uh, the setup you guys have got over there. It sounds fantastic, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that. But the topic for what we're going to talk about, um, which I'm, it's I have never come up with this in my own. In fact, you and Megan gave it to me, and I think uh, it's a really uh, interesting topic for all PO clinicians. So we're going to talk a little bit about hand skills and interprofessional education. Um, so usually before we dive right into like the, the subject it's always good just to get to know you a little bit uh so like your journey into P&O and and then how you end up uh where you are now so I'll pass yeah. it um so I I will start by saying like most people uh I think I didn't know that P&O was a thing uh when I was going through school um so I went through undergraduate and got my mechanical engineering degree and actually ended up working as a mechanical engineer for six years Wow. Um, before realizing that this was actually a thing I could do. So I did mechanical engineering because I knew that um, I could work with my hands and I could problem solve. So I wanted to do those things. Um, and I actually worked in the oil field for, for those six years uh, designing explosives, uh, which was, cool. it was fun. Yeah, that's cool. um, and uh, But I, this is better because that was working in front of a computer uh, and this, even though I'm in front of a computer right now, it has a, a personal connection that yeah. you don't get um, in other fields. Uh, so finding this, I then w went and worked as a technician for a year for an upper limb specialist before yeah. getting into school. Um, went to school at Baylor, uh, graduated in 2016, uh, and then worked um, in Shriners Hospital for Children for a few years before getting into education. Cool. I mean, that really lends itself nicely, mechanical engineering and applying like pretty much we are applying mechanical uh, engineering uh, concepts to people, um, maybe not the explosives part, but uh, I don't know, Yeah, you found a place for that. And then obviously like doing the trade, like experience as a technician too. So, you know, that's a pretty solid uh, foundation to then jump into the program. Oh, um, absolutely. It, it, it helped quite a bit. And I, I would say, People don't need that kind of background, but just most mechanical engineers I knew were just people who wanted to problem solve. And that's all our field feels like it is at times. And I like the problem solving element too, but then I think like the people part is like the bit that you don't realize that you need. Like yeah. where you kind of worked out, you're like, I'm in front of a computer. I'd like to like meet a new person every hour or so and uh, and then and then solve a new problem. Uh, a problem exactly. evolve and change is probably a little bit less static than the maybe a mechan mechanical one I could be uh, generalizing there um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah no no agreed yeah that's wicked um so I get into it then the uh, what are essential hand skills for OMP clinicians um so it you know I I love these topics um I I'm really passionate about hand skills uh just because um again I, I 
people will talk about this being problem solving or being a marriage of you know art and mechanics and and working with people as far as what hand skills are are essential um i really think there's there's no one set of hand skills that are that are necessarily essential it's really the knowledge about how to use your tools safely um that is that is the best and once you know that um it's really it depends on what you're doing every day right so if i am an orthotist and i'm constantly making adjustments and heating and flaring potentially bending some metal you know that's one thing um, if I'm a prosthetist um, and I'm trying to uh, relieve bony prominences in a carbon fiber socket, uh, or maybe I'm working with a joint and corset, so I have some leather in there, or it, it really boils down to, do you understand your materials properties, right? Do you understand what the material is you're working with, which lends itself into what tool am I using with this material? Uh, and then understanding, all right, how much pressure can I use with this? How much heat can it take? Uh, am I going to, you know, make a, a, a failure point if I drill in this certain area? Um, so I would say the most essential skill is just materials understanding and understanding what you're working with. And then from there, being able to make a straight line is, is really important and, you know, uh, skiving and, and all of that different stuff. But that's all just you know, learning your angles and and playing around with again the the materials that you have. That that's that's so interesting because I was talking to somebody else about regular questions that I get asked when I go to talk to people about three D printing, and I'm going to steal what you've just said there because that's really really helpful because we have like hand skills that we we almost don't quantify. It's like memory in your hands about like you were saying about how 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 is that material going to react when I heat it and push it with my hand. And that's exactly, because like, people will ask me questions like, "What temperature does three uh, D printing material, you know, push at?" It's like, "Well, what temperature does polypropylene push at?" It's like they don't know because they just do exactly. it. It's a it's a it's a learned skill, but yeah. it's a and it's an individual one. And then when you started talking there, like about how because we were we were just I was double checking what when you were talking about hand skills like, and it's the whole hand skill process across the board, the whole from assessment like. And that, that is so true. Like it's that feeling of testing like what uh endpoint of uh of ankle joint range feels like. Um, you know what the diagnosis is of that patient, perhaps. Uh so you, you have a rough idea how how you it might feel because you've probably assessed, you know, hundreds of these people before. So then when you feel it, then you think, okay, I kind of know like how that's how strong I might need to make my orthosis because of because of that skill you've got from from feel. Um, yeah, and you know, working with with students now, I I've learned pretty much every day a new something that I took for granted that is a hand skill that I didn't know. So even something as simple as uh, taking a measurement, right? Taking a circumferential measurement is a hand skill, right? It is to be able to take a consistent measurement, something that is useful, uh, something that is similar to other people that are taking in the same area. That's a hand skill. Do you? teach that because I remember I'm trying to think back when I learned like you measuring for footwear essentially and it's like you know someone pretty much says don't pull it too tight but don't leave it too loose yeah and then, and that's it and it's but so, so we we do and we um show people you know basically we have um you know five six faculty who work with the students on various different projects and various different things and um 
you know, that, that can be difficult because everybody's coming with their own set of hand skills and their own set of everything. So mm -hmm. if we have a skill like measurement or um, like modification or casting, yeah. we, we will sit down before and, and, you know, we don't have to do this every year because we've, we've done it at this point, mm -hmm. um, but we'll sit down before and we will see how each other does it and we'll discuss it and we'll see, you know, what works best and what doesn't. Um, so that the students all get a single like message from us and we can teach them one way as opposed to like inundating them with, all right, you can do it this way or this way or this way. Cause we all know you put like three clinicians in a room and you're going to get seven different ways to do something. Right. And, and 15 different prescriptions. Exactly. Yeah. To, yeah. The, to, that's like, that's, it's interesting. Cause I think sometimes like certainly my experience in the UK is that a lot of the time we're probably our own as clinicians in the room like when you're doing the casting and things like that mm -hmm. um, and it's probably something that you're probably not so confident to you know go and get critiqued by somebody else if you've been qualified for a while and um, mm -hmm. you know to try and you kind of always think oh, I should try and take a good cast and you should always evaluate your cast for example afterwards but how often are guests people who are more than three years qualified maybe going and saying oh, am i i could am i doing this right um yeah. it's, it's certainly like um like from what i do now as well like in terms of scanning like people are quite adverse to change um but to learn a fresh skill like oh no i prefer to cast and stuff like that which is fine i, I never i always say to people that scanning is not replacing casting it's just another it's another tool in the box that you can make a decision to use whether with the patient that's in front of you so it, uh, right. yeah it, it, that's really interesting because my next question is you know as more and more digital shape capture methods are being promoted like everywhere 3d printing scanning is kind of trying to really force its way into our industry and partly that's my job as well uh, <laughs> when i'm not doing things like this um do, do you think that will affect the level of hand skills or like i was saying there do you think it's just another thing that slots in beside it yeah. Um, so, I mean, great question. I, uh, I have a couple of ongoing research projects with some of my students into hand skills. And uh, it's actually interesting. One of them was um, a survey because most research has to start there. Right. And it was a survey into what hand skills do um, clinicians, technicians believe are important now. And they had to self-evaluate. So if you were a CPO, evaluate what hand skills were important for you and what hand skills were important for technicians separately. And technicians had to do the same, evaluate for themselves and evaluate for CPOs. Um, we had a total of like people who actually finished the survey, maybe 160 or so. So pretty good response. Yeah, yeah. Um, my students should be uh, in the near future um, presenting on that, uh, oh, hopefully. Cool. Um, so, you know, keep yeah. an eye out for that. But where, where, would they, where, would they, where would they present that? So, well, that that is to be determined. So okay, that, well, well, you, if you can yeah. put my email address so I can and I can post it as well. So that's uh, oh, I will. I will. Um, yeah. um so, but so the, the really interesting thing is at the end of the survey, we had all right, an extra question that was because uh, the hand skills that we um, asked them about were just the the in-cope competencies. Um, so basically two-dimensional shape capture, three-dimensional shape capture, metal bending, so on. So just the ones that are in COPE, like these are what you need to learn in your residency type deal. Um, and so at the end, uh, we put, what do you think might be important in the future that we didn't mention here? 
and overwhelmingly three-dimensional, um, even though one of the things was three-dimensional shape capture, uh, it people would put in CAD cam, CAD cam scanning, you know, and it was just, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so people definitely see this as, as something that's coming down the line. Um, but I, I definitely don't think it's going to replace what we're currently doing. Would you have used CAD CAM in, as a mechanical engineer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you already have that in the locker then. Mm -hmm. or have you applied it in Pino or? Um, we have a 3D printer in the lab. Um, we have uh, access to SolidWorks so we can prototype, you know, little things or, or right now it's really used as more of an educational tool than anything okay. else. Okay. Um, but we are trying to um, kind of bring that into the educational space because we do think it's eventually going to be specific competencies for CAD CAM. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. I think that like, I think it's just making a, its own place in the market. I don't think it will ever completely replace traditional. Like we still see probably a high percentage now of people who are in uh, polypropylene AFOs, but like, and you have a low percentage of people that are maybe in traditional leather and metal style orthoses. Um, and I just think that 3D printing is just kind of the the evolution of our industry because there's obviously been quite an uptake or quite a push or I, I'm not quite sure how it's manifested itself to be quite prominent already. Um, I just see it slotting in there, maybe just taking its share and then seeing seeing how it kind of settles over the next kind of five five to ten years. Um, yeah, well, and and to kind of expand on it too, um, I mean, if you think about it. Uh, when was the last time as a clinician that you sat down and and pulled an AFO or laminated a socket or did anything like that, right? Yeah. So these are things that we are we are handing off to somebody else in general, depending mm -hmm. on where you are. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, yeah. so what we may be concerned about is, all right, we still need to shape capture. We, however that is, whether that's wrapping or it is um, scanning. And then we still need to take that captured shape and modify it. Those modification techniques, they might be by hand or they might be on the computer. And then we still need to fit it and make adjustments. Yeah. So in essence, the, the process is the same. It's yeah. just little minutia about how we get there. So if people are, what I think is really the driving point between all of that is that concept of um, spatial awareness, and if you understand why you're doing what you're doing on your molds, so you understand, you can picture these things and you can work through, you know, what it is. The prescription, you, you still got to, you still got to have a good prescription in your head and, exactly. apply, it and apply it using whatever skills um, you feel are the best to get you there. Um, Absolutely. I, I think like that, I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing I've certainly learned since making many, many mistakes over the last 17 years. Like, you know, maybe not understanding products enough, putting them onto the wrong people and then actually reflecting as you got more and more experience that the, the that prescription is possibly the hardest thing to come up with. And it's because like you, and you're in education teaching like the next generation, like you can teach everybody the fundamental biomechanic principles but the psychology of the patient is probably equally, if not more, in, important uh, in, in that decision-making process of what you're actually going to prescribe. I think, and then because it doesn't matter what you make, what process you use, if they don't wear it, it's <laughs> it's 
it, it, exactly. I there's nothing that that bothers me more than at least when I was doing clinic five days a week, than when somebody came in with an orthosis or prosthesis that looked pristine, like they yeah. haven't been used. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've been there like, and I probably and I, and I probably happened a lot. I remember like people covered in with like footwear, and it, it was, you know it dawned on me like probably I don't know how many years it took to realize this. It's so sound really bad, but hopefully people can relate that you know they come in with those shoes, absolutely nowhere in the sole, and they're like, <laughs> Wait, are they wearing them? They worn them to clinic. It's like, oh, you've not worn these. It's like, oh, I've not been anywhere. It's like it's yeah, been, yeah. like ninety five percent of their time at home. You're like, oh, we should probably create some house shoes then. <laughs> uh, that you can wear why are you still get your ulcer you're not wearing your shoes and you're like and then exactly realistically it's like well i don't wear my shoes in the house but, uh, so maybe we need to make something that you can wear indoors uh, yeah so yeah that, that that totally makes sense um so i'll go back to my list now because i can digress massively i can yeah. go off on massive tangents and i appreciate this is your lunch time um do oh i did probably we probably already answered this but i think do you see like traditional uh methods of shape capture being completely replaced uh completely replaced i i wouldn't say necessarily like um situationally replaced sure right if i go into uh you know a situation where i don't want to be creating a mess but i need to get a, a quick capture of a patient's limb it might just be easier to scan right if I have a patient um, who can't um, can't weight bear, and so I can't get them up for maybe a partial weight bearing cast, uh, or like a, a bilateral transfemoral or something that like literally we just can't get them up, mm -hmm. it, these shape capture methods of doing sockets by numbers, scanning, like they're just an extra, like you said, tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely, at least from what I've seen so far. Um, there's so many ways to take these capture. And if you really need hands-on to make an adjustment. So to go back to my time uh, at Shriners, um, a lot of these kids, they would be, we would see clubfoot tons, clubfoot, arthrogryposis, um, people that really needed some additional, you know, I didn't want a non-weight bearing thing. I, I wanted my hands on them. Yeah. But we were sending out 70% of our stuff in a scanned and CAD cam uh, environment, we would just scan the cast after we took it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. We, there's so many ways to do it, you know? Yeah, I, I talk about workflow with a lot of people and I think there's, I guess from my side as well, like when I'm talking to new companies or clinics about like introducing like a 3D printed product, it's like, like what workflow do you use? Like do you, and, and then you can say, okay, well you can still like take a cast and and fill it and rectify it and then scan that and then you still kind of kept that and if they're, not, if they're not already using digital rectification and they want to keep hold of what they want to keep hold of it like there are multiple ways into 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 still doing it and like it, you don't you it, it scanning feeds really really nicely into printing but then you can still scan and create uh, a carbon fiber or a plastic a polypropylene style or device as well i think like like you say it's totally open it's just another thing to add in i think hopefully people i kind of understand that like people who are maybe on the fence about it or kind of on the other side and think it's you know not not for them it's 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 it is a massive advantage so i think the most unique thing for me is like like solutions for like collars and things like that because scanning somebody's neck is like way easier than taking a cast uh, absolutely i think i took i think i got cast at university 
uh, for, for, for Gala. And it was not great. Everyone else thought it was hilarious, but not, not <laughs> wrapped inside. But, uh, yeah, well, and, and the benefits of it too. I mean, uh, going back again to Shrine, it, we could hold two months worth of patients' molds. Like we had enough room for that. But beyond that, it it was just too much, right? So scanned, you have that digital model you can go back to, you can compare it a year down the line. I still have that digital model 10 years down the line. Yeah. Um, so there's there's other benefits that people may not think about initially too, if they're worried about the uh, minutiae, the little bits of it. And, and then the environmentally friendly part as well of not having like lots of casts kicking about and trying to dispose of them and stuff like that. It's uh, digital files a little bit, a little bit greener for the planet. Um, but yeah. Um, so the, the other part of our topic uh, to t- discuss was interprofessional education. What, when, what, what do you mean by that? So it's, I, I know we had suggested just two things that, that I'm really passionate about uh, and, and work with. So interprofessional education, interprofessional collaboration um, is something that hopefully everybody's doing anyways. Um, but going back to the very beginning of this, when I introduced myself, um, I didn't know that OMP existed, right? Um, and a lot of our students who come in, they may not have entered into undergraduate knowing that this existed, right? And they found it through undergrad. Um, they found it a little bit later, or we have people coming like I was from a job that found out this, this existed and decided to quit their job and come back. I say all of that- That's a big decision. That, right. It is. Um, but but I say all that to kind of just point out that how can I be expected um, or how can I expect a physical therapist to to work with my patients and to understand things if maybe they've never worked with a, a you know practitioner before? They don't know what a CPO does. Yeah. So we actually started um, working with our students uh, at Baylor and Texas Women's University that's a few blocks away. And they have a physical therapy and occupational therapy program. And so we will have our students interface with their students, with patients as well. But before they interface with one another, they just have to read each other's competencies. Like the if we start, we did our first one where they all got to sit down and talk with one another, the students did. And we didn't have any pre-readings or anything for them. It was our first time. And the students sat down and basically the PTs were like, all right, so can you guys do a range of motion? Do you understand what manual muscle testing is? And our students were trying to figure out like what they knew how to palpate. And, you know, it's, they, yeah. they had no idea what each other did, yeah. you know, That's so and cool. that carries through. So it's, it's why I'm so passionate about it because to do that early, to do that early as well in education, because that's not something that I definitely didn't do, but then you would almost be like, you you then end up uh, in your in your job and then you end up like thinking oh I'm like seeing someone with somebody else like oh what and you just assume they see things like you and I probably didn't realize until I I worked with a few quite a few physios that they couldn't see things the way I saw them sometimes or or some of the the, the probably the, the ones I enjoyed working with but more could see where they were like they could pick a patient that that patient would be really good for an orthosis um, yeah. and then they get you to come in with them and then uh and then you would kind of like, um, you know, tr- like problem solve and assess together and add those skills together. And it's just like, boom, you get like this much, much better plan, much probably, I would kind of go as far to say your probably your patient outcome is better 
when your physiotherapist and your orthotist or prosthetist work together? So there's there's actually research, not specific to OMP, but there's research on an interprofessional team and the better your interprofessional collaboration, actually the better outcome. So exactly what you just said. Yeah. Um, proof that it lowers um, like basically your your symptoms of, of diabetes. It uh, actually helps Alzheimer's patients. Uh, they have fewer um, issues. It's there, there's a lot of evidence. They're just we haven't looked into it in O&P, but you know, you can yeah. add that that's kind of most research, though. <laughs> yeah. And it, I do find like the best relationships. And I am fortunate to have worked with like quite a lot of really good physios who and, I, and to me, like a good physio is someone who I am being selfish and saying that they get me involved. Uh, yeah. But like they get me involved and I'm like excited because I know like then we are all work together as a as a team and I'm very much a team person that's and it's much more enjoyable to then treat that patient from their orthotics point of view knowing that they are then going to be you're adding to their goal with an orthosis that they then go off and just plow ahead with the physio and then you can go back in and review them like further down the line if you need to tune or or or, you know tweak something or or whatever and it's yeah i i'm a massive believer that that should happen all the time especially in where i work in neural neural patients kids adults you you will just get such uh, a better outcome from that so well and and you know one thing I, i'll point out that was actually really interesting when we started doing this with our students and they started uh, interfacing with the physical therapists uh, you could know right away like all right so they both understand how to analyze gait right and but then once you ask the physical therapy students to analyze gait they are walking directly behind their patients they are like right up on them our students were going you know far away to the other <laughs> side of the room so they could analyze the whole thing and they you know it's the the approach to it too it's it's good for them to understand how the others doing what they're doing yeah yeah so, that's and you get a lot of like physiotherapists are like you say closer like facilitate like trying to like touch the patient trying to encourage like better movement patterns and whereas we're like you say we're either in front or behind or on the side like trying to get like or trying to like take a video like on, on a phone yep. or an ipad and like then like oh let's watch it back and, uh, and then everyone and you think oh like yeah it's that's so interesting I, i'm really impressed like that you have like managed to put that into uh uh into the course I, so early mm-hmm. because i know it's something i didn't learn till later i mean i'm saying that like it might still exist that way in the uk course i don't know i'm sure they i'm sure they yeah. do do uh, interdisciplinary uh, or multidisciplinary uh, working early, much earlier uh, than, than I did it. Um, is there is there collaborations? We obviously talked about orth. I've kind of pushed us into orthotics and physiotherapists, like, but you mentioned o- occupational therapists as well. Uh, occupational therapists are huge. You know, um, I mean, with any of your patients, even lower extremity, who you would go to immediately, physical therapist. Um, you know. Uh, do they know how to wash their items? Do they know how to use their items? But even, all right, so as a prosthetist and, and your upper extremity, um, you know, when was the last time somebody actually went to their occupational therapist and made sure like they knew what they were doing with them. They were evaluating it the same way. Um, they were giving them the same break-in schedule we are. Do they know what break-in schedule works, works yeah. best? You know, um, it's, 
they get to spend more time with them and but they're also evaluating for the same things so it's you know it's much better to actually be able to sit there and understand what each other is going to go through yeah um, which is yeah like i said critical i think like sometimes the difficulties here is trying to get all the right people in the room and like making sure that everyone's like i've certainly probably been in some clinics where you almost think uh, oh, this was this wasn't so useful. Like the rock, maybe the patient wasn't the right person for a joint clinic, so maybe it was bad triage or poor referral. Um, and I think trying to get that blend of like, because you do rely then on on a good referral or trying to make sure that um you're not wasting the time because you've got more people in the room. Like you know, like if, if you've got physio and orthodist or you've got physio orthodist occupational health, like a doctor or a consultant. Uh, then you like you want to make sure that like this like the, the patients that come in are are going to going to probably need the majority of the people in the room's help. Is that something you believe? Or, um, you know, a, you can also look at this as a way to leverage other new technologies or other technologies. Thinking back to uh, COVID and the uh, telehealth becoming such a bigger and bigger and bigger thing, mm -hmm. our fields I feel like tends to um shy away from telehealth because we want to be hands-on we need to yep. be there if you need to turn a screw you can't turn a screw virtually yeah however if i need to see how my patient's doing and i need to follow up with them see if they need new legs see if they need a new arm how is their brain you know their orthosis doing um why can't i just bring the ot or pt or pmnr why can't we be on that call as a checkup with them together right yeah. Uh, and that way we all are on the same page. We all know what's going on and, and the plan is much easier from the get-go as opposed to they need to follow up with us and they need to follow up with OT and they need to follow up with the PM&R and they need, you know. Yeah, that 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 was always always difficult part though. I, I, I do get the, the the call would always be like, if you call up and they say, how are you getting on? And they're like, oh yeah, I've got a problem. You'd be like, all right, you have to come in. And then, yeah. and then it was a pretty, pretty, pretty quick one. But you do obviously on the flip side, you do get the, the other part when they can be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well, and like you can get some positive feedback. And I certainly know from my side working in the in the private sector, you don't often get follow ups because people don't want to pay to come back and tell you everything's fine. So you just have to assume uh, that everything's okay until you hear from them or they're and you know, uh, and I think that's maybe where we should introduce maybe just a phone call just to make sure what we are they are getting on fine because rather than not knowing, and I think do you think there's a part of our kind of profession that we we shy away from this kind of multidisciplinary working uh, or interprofessional like working i think i think to a degree we we might shy away at times um potentially so if uh i feel like i'm giving up control to have somebody else in the room if i feel like i'm i know in general and I, I don't think this is the way it should be, but I think some orthotist prosthetists might feel like the lower man on the totem pole whenever they're in the room with somebody who has a doctorate or somebody who, you know, is the one writing the prescription. Um, but if we can approach it from a level of being peers who can work together, I feel like we don't have to shy away from those those group encounters. Um, it's, it's not necessarily that people, I don't think, shy away from uh, interprofessional collaboration, I just think at times it might be easier to to not do it um, or it uh, I mean, easier in the way of like scheduling and, and things like that on the, the front end. 
Um, but it might also just be easier because now you're the only voice in the room, right? Yeah. Well, I, th I think I think the opposite. I prefer to be with someone else so that you are then collaborating to come up with a plan, and the patients seeing that and they feel like I agree. <laughs> but, uh, and I think that makes my life easier rather than harder. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, yeah. As I said, like we're fortunate with, to work with a few different physiotherapy companies uh, where I live, and like that that is the, the the exciting part. Sometimes I will see them, like we'll see them together, perhaps, and then I might do a couple appointments. Uh, right. out their orthosis to perhaps cast or scan uh, on, on my own and then we'll be like right let's let's meet up again like once their orthosis has been in place once you've had it in physio for a little bit of time um and then we can we can see where we're at uh, and whether it's an orthosis that then we can adjust easily or or whatnot but you know a lot of the time it's like i can go in assess and um, trial an orthosis perhaps and then go back and fit it and then like with that relationship with the, the the physiotherapist i can uh um I, I can you know leave it in their hands and they'll just let me know if they need me and and then it's like it it, it works so well because you know with the funding as well in the uk a lot of people like might be self-funding so it's expensive to get us both in the room together and um, but it does create that better outcome so we probably minimize how much they need me there and then they can spend more of their funds on like you know just Getting, getting getting to their goals with the with the therapist it's uh yeah that's a this it's such a strong and probably something i would take for granted as well like we were talking about skills we don't realize we have and mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how we we look at stuff as omp clinicians i think we're probably don't realize what we've got with all with the courses that we do like with the way you have to think about it like the way i look at something is not the same way as my 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 uh, colleagues in, in physiotherapy and in occupational therapy um, and even the consultants and things like that they they are looking at it from from their training which is different and I think that's when you collaborate them all together you can you can end up with a really strong position as as an OMP as a CPO well and and like you said you know if if you work with somebody regularly and and they understand where you're coming from and they they understand what you can do and how you look at things then all of a sudden they can be that you know reference point for you of oh hey I saw so and so and and I really feel like this is something that you could help them with you know so them knowing how you do things and, and what you're looking for benefits the patient as well and and you know because they don't have to come to you if they don't need you but also you they can still be screened it was funny because when I started doing it, I was always, you'd be nervous because you'd be like, almost think they were going to do things differently than me and I'm going to look like I'm doing it wrong. But it was never like that. It was almost like they were just as interested to see how I did it as I was to see how they did it. And then as like that relationship with those people evolved, it got easy. It got smoother. So I know I, I knew how they did things. So I could just ask them like, you know, what how much, what's the tone like? Uh, you know, is there is there clonus? What's the range like? And I know they've done it all already, and I can I double check like a couple of bits just to make sure like what I'm doing with my positioning for for whatever closest I might go. But that relationship builds, gets strong, and then you uh, you know it it does really um, improve your skills. But also you do sometimes also get uh, the advantage of just having a conversation with that person because you know how they work, and and you can. Well, and and I think interprofessional education is really just um, we're trying to hit it early so that yeah. you can say to themselves they can be like all right you know it's not just that 
Doug knows how to do these things. It's that a CPO who has been trained the same way knows how to do these yes. things. Yeah, I, I, it's both, both both topics like hand skills and inter uh, professional education. Like, I mean, I probably was like, okay, I think I can. And I did double check these before we started. I was like, you know, like what, what, what? How much are we like covering yeah. hand skills? It's like, but things that you probably don't often hear uh broken down as like these are actually things but they are things that we have it's uh like i think i remember spending some time on professional body here like trying to create what are you why are we unique you know and and, and it's like well we have like all these these unique skills that other people don't have like and now that's another couple for the list you know uh hand skills and um like being invaluable parts of mdt so it's uh it's brilliant i think um if, uh, it'd be really interesting to know like when your students do the presentation on the um on that on the hand skills questionnaire oh I'll absolutely let you know yeah it, it, uh, because I, I was at a conference last week and uh a friend of mine a guy called Paul Charlton Charlton he'd done a questionnaire and when he got all these clinicians to another kind of training day he organized and like the the, the people who are actually most confident by a million miles to actually send a referral to orthotics where physio everyone else was like was pretty low and confident of who when they would when would they know how when to refer to orthotics and i think that's another kind of area like you know and if you're sharing that really early in education where you're introducing these people to each other right then they know uh they know they know about each other early doors and we're, we're trying to to capture that too so we're trying to get some data on you know, the confidence of working with somebody else in the healthcare team before we do these experiences in school, if it's being improved, um, then these same students will be going through residency and, and kind of see if they feel more confident in their residency going to a physical therapist and saying, hey, you know, I noticed this. Did you notice like actually collaborating with them, which sometimes can be intimidating as a resident yeah. and seeing if they, it actually improves that. So well, we're, we're trying to keep an eye on that, too. Have you got any other interesting uh, study or projects going on in the background there? Because you've got quite a lot of uh, good ones that I didn't know you had when we before we started. So that's uh, I wonder if there's any more hiding hiding over there. Um, I, I will you know plug. Uh, we talked about the the hand skills at about the same time. We'll probably be um, trying to present where uh, you talked about how at the beginning you used the word objective for hand skills, and and you know it's it's hard to get an objective measure. We're also trying to get some sort of objective way to, to measure these things, which is really difficult. Um, so one of my students put together a um, set of tests uh, for students to do, and we're trying to capture basically their hand skills when they enter our program, their hand skills when they uh, enter residency, and then their hand skills when they finish residency, see how they progressed, um, and see if there's any link between that and spatial awareness or anything like that. So I'll now, plug that as well because probably yeah. both will be. Um, so uh, they develop a test to kind of assess someone's hand skills. Oh yeah. Oh. So it's it's a test. A really what they spent the time developing was a and because we can all come up with a test, but it was a, it was an accurate rubric on how to grade these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, cool. that's cool. If you sat down and thought like, so I I teach hand skills at Baylor. Um, I teach our technical and safety skills course is the name of it. Um, and if you think about it, right, if you look at a pad that's been skived, uh, how can you tell that it's right? Well, you just know, right? And so yeah. it really bothered me 
as as a faculty who is grading students on this that the measure is does Jeremy say it's right or wrong? I wanted an objective measure. Um, so that's that's what we're working the on. The Jeremy scale. Yeah, the Jeremy scale. Um, <laughs> or technically for this student, it'll be the Megan scale, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, that's that's really cool. Cause I I know like there's a big vast uh, array of quality of like casts that might make their way to different uh, orthotic workshops around the UK. And it would be interesting to be like, and it, it usually comes down to like the technician saying, oh, this cast not very good. Uh, and then they have to try and make a, an orthosis from it. Um, so you'll be like, or oh, if there were, once you've developed the, the Jeremy scale for uh, for assessing quality, hand skill quality, you could be like, well, actually, you know, can we can we apply that to people? And like, then you would be looking at, I guess, like seeing whether we can educate each other to upskill ourselves to make sure that we're um, we are creating. And then you think you'd you'd have better quality orthoses at the end of it. Where you know, hopefully, the the idea is at least that we could look at something together and say instead of just saying yes, it's good or no, it's not. We could actually like give give people a little bit more feedback on. Oh, you could have done this a little bit better. This this is the exact issue I have with this cast, right? Yeah, or this is yeah. the exact issue I have with this plastic or or whatever. And when you, because this is really interesting, would, would you share the, like that work with other universities? Or are they doing it already in the States? Or... Um, so all universities teach hand skills in some, some capacity. Yeah. Um, when uh, this student finishes her research, I'm encouraging her to um, do the same. I want her to, to publish this, this test uh, and this rubric um, so that basically it can be shared with as many people want to use it yeah uh, so Perfect. when you when you've got it we can jump back on and do yeah do like a little uh bonus episode where we could share share that that would be really cool because i think that would yeah, be great be, um that would be really cool i was just also thinking you must be under a lot of pressure when you're doing the demonstration casts and uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, for, for all this stuff we have uh, a sample and so that definitely gets uh you know, <laughs> they look at it very closely. Until you've got a nice patient that always comes in to cast that you've cast many, many times. You're like, yeah, yeah. I can do this. I can do this. They've got good range and no, no muscle tone, no increased muscle. Yeah, tone. Exactly. Make it as easy as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Well, I know we have taken up most of your lunch time already, so I really appreciate you coming on, and I would really like to do that uh, the bonus episode if uh, once you've got the results, so just drop me a mail. So yeah, absolutely, I will. It was my pleasure. Happy to be on. Thank you so much.